Just a few of the people Billy's recorded and or toured with includes B.B. King, Robbie Robertson, Carly Simon, Richard Marks, The Knack, Yoko Ono, Joan Osborne, Ace Frehley, Glenn Campbell, Art Garfunkel, David Crosby, and Jimmy Webb, just to name a few. Billy has recorded on more than 50 soundtracks for feature films, including a musician's favorite movie, That Thing You Do, where Billy taught actor Tom Everett Scott to play the drums and was on the set as a consultant. Two records have been released under Billy's name, Two Hands Clapping, and the Billy Ward Trio, Out the Door. As an educator, his two instructional DVDs, Big Time, which was a Modern Drummer's Reader's Poll Award winner, and Voices in My Head have won raves from critics as well as fellow drummers. Billy occasionally travels anywhere in the world to play, but he loves the close contact with students when performing drum clinics and master classes. His book, Inside Out, The Mental Aspect of Drumming, further demonstrates Billy's ability to clearly explain the difficult challenges that the working musician faces. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done over the last three years, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review. It really helps us grow. Hey everyone, we're doing a donation drive in the month of May here at Working Drummer Podcast. A donation on PayPal or Patreon will enter you to win some great stuff from our sponsors, including a crushed snare drum, a stick and accessory package from Vader, a set of drum heads of your choosing from Aquarian, a pair of in-ear monitors from Session Ace, the new book, Beyond the Beats, Rock and Roll's Greatest Drummers Speak by Jake Brown, or a Working Drummer Podcast t-shirt. Donating $10 or more on PayPal or $5 a month or more on Patreon will enter you to win one of these prizes. Winners will be chosen at random on June 1st. If you donate on Patreon, this promotion includes all of the existing incentives there. Visit WorkingDrummer.net and look for the PayPal and Patreon buttons along the right side of the homepage. Thanks to all the participating sponsors for providing these great prizes. And thank you in advance for helping to keep Working Drummer Podcast going strong. A lot of us are using in-ear monitors on a more regular basis than we could have anticipated even just a few years ago. Unless you have that big artist gig that provides all the free gear that you need to do your job, you are responsible for the cost of your own in-ears, and the price is often too high for great-sounding in-ears. Session Ace is a company that makes great-sounding ears at a very reasonable price. Zach and I have been putting these in-ears to the test in real-world settings for many months, I can honestly say these are the best-sounding in-ears I've used. For only $199, you can own a set of ESAs or quad driver headphones. For the dual drivers or ESTs, it's only $99. The frequency response is better than any of the lower-level competitor products and is either equal to or better than other higher-end products. And lastly, the accessory package that comes with every order has everything you would possibly need from cable extensions adapters, as well as a large assortment of ear tips to fit your ear. You can check all these out at sessionace.com slash working drummer and see some of the other products that they have to offer. Please enjoy my talk with drummer Billy Ward. 
the whole deal on being a drummer is is part of it is you whatever job whatever job you're doing ends you're out of the work you're often out of work for the rest of your life at that moment then <laughs> until somebody else calls and balancing balancing the trauma of that uh feeling you know i grew up with civilian parents and so it was <laughs> civilian uh muggles is that you know <laughs> it was kind of you know emphasized that uh you know i'm not working now and uh, to myself, you know, just, just my inner chatter was always, oh, oh shit, you know, <laughs> now what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, when the pellet drops in the cage, we have to go get it, man. And that's the thing. It's, it's, that's, that's what you're doing. That's what we do. You know, it's hard. It's a combination of, of, uh, maybe it's a combination of inspiration and, stupidity <laughs> there, that's where you know true. or ignorance you know because really we ignore the you know a lot of it is just uh when you're in your 20s or teens and and you you're approaching your life and it's like i'm i'm good enough to be a professional i want to be a professional i don't want to do anything else it's the only thing that makes me happy um there's no real voices to that person that are meaningful usually that that will mm. point out you know you're going to need health insurance and mm -hmm. and savings for when you can no longer uh, you know function as an as an elderly person and whatnot. So yeah, it's tricky. I mean, you know, um, that's the thing. I mean, money and the arts. Uh, yep. It's it just doesn't you know it really doesn't belong overall and and this so you know in this my, people my age I saw people in the sixties and seventies hit a gold mine you know and get signed big label and so it was sort of like the gold ring was apparent and it was possible to get a gold ring yeah uh, and you know maybe it's less possible than later but hey I got the hair I got the pants. Uh, maybe I can get the gold ring now, you know, or yeah. if you, now I got the beard, so maybe I can get the gold ring now. And um, the thing is, is, you know, a lot of, first of all, the gold ring, it's not that much money, really. And, and you know, the, it's just, uh, it's not that it's awful, it's, it's, it's glorious to be a musician. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, 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 it's an honor to, Whatever it is you're doing to, you know, playing a wedding gig or bar mitzvah to whatever it is, it, it's just, it's wonderful. The thing is, it's just, um, yeah, it's like if, if, if you have other priorities, then, then it's not so great. I, I, I knew an artist who always said, you know, if you're in the arts for fame and fortune, you're going to have a horrible life, you know? Yeah. And that's the truth. You know, if you're in it because it, you're, you're it, because it saves your life and makes you feel like yourself, then of course you have to do it, you know, yeah. yeah. and ride it out. It's a trip. You know, a, a lot has changed even in the three years since we started this podcast. And, uh, you know, I listen to the news a lot and I'm hearing about different uh, trends in the economy, and one of the buzzwords that keeps popping up is the gig economy, and how people are procuring work and staying employed or not employed. I feel like we kind of resisted 
that the the formal type of of work that that our parents did and 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 we saw our friends go into and took a risk by taking work uh, that was unpredictable and didn't have all the uh, securities of the quote-unquote real job. Now that's what everyone is doing. I mean, it's not that they're playing music, but they're they're going from job to job, and, and oftentimes they, they don't have full-time benefits. And so I'm like, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's what a lot of us have been doing already, or that's what some of us want to be doing. I'm curious to know kind of what your perspective on how the economy in, in the United States, we have listeners uh, uh, in different countries with different social structures, but in the United States, we, we, uh, we don't, when you do the type of work that we do, you don't have the, uh, depending on the artists that you work with or whatever, uh, oftentimes you don't have those benefits uh, and so you work, there's workarounds, there's, you know, you pay for your own health insurance, you do certain things to kind of get around those things. But I, I wonder if those infrastructures are starting to kind of meet us where we are. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Plato said the younger generation is going to the dogs. So it's not new uh, that everything's kind of starting to look worse than ever before. Um, I'm not smart enough to look at the, at the world on an economical level. I'm, you know, I don't have, I, I'm not a guy that saves money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Billy, moving on, Mo- moving about on. Money. Ne- next I'm, question. <laughs> if I want, if I'm going to dig it though, if I'm going for acquisition, I'm thinking snare drum, Mike pre, uh, car, you know, uh, <laughs> that pair of shoes. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at like, if I, you know, I do have a savings and I look at it, but it doesn't give me the excitement that I get when I, uh, after purchasing a Leedy Tom Tom for like 40 bucks, that, that sounds great, you know? So, so it's really, uh, <clears throat> the thing is though, what I can comment on is the drought in gigs that has happened in the last 20 years or, or more because um, we used to be able to play with people and go to a bar and people wanted to hear us play. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then around 15, 20 years ago, that was already gone. And the, uh, the gigs were church gigs where you, uh, which I'm unfamiliar with, but but I assume you have to play softly, mm-hmm. and you make fifty bucks, or depending on how many diamond rings the minister has, maybe you make more. <laughs> but but like it's so you know that I can see, and that's terrible. And and uh, in terms of in terms of status quo, like because how like I did my growing up playing different music and making people dance like crazy from sixth grade on or fifth grade, perhaps I think it was. And, and it's just like, uh, all those different grooves, all those odd circumstances of, of, uh, you know, playing a frat party and having two inches of beer all, all over the place. And, and, and you can't hear anything, but you still play the gig and it turns out the tape was okay or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's just all those experiences add up to make someone a veteran. And mm-hmm. those are ex- missed, missed experiences. And then 
to make matters worse, um, I think I see a decline in musical instruments. I mean, um, nobody wants to play the drums. Mm. Not as many. Not you know. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Oh, now I sound like an old you know get off my lawn guy. But less less drum sets are being sold now, and. Mm-hmm. You know, and and someone told me even in the heyday of musical instrument insurance, of musical instrument sales, that adding all of it together—pianos, violins, flutes, harps, drums, bass, guitars, amps, everything—the entire industry amounts to less income than lipstick. Wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, so there it is. I mean. Uh, it's like I got a t- ticket when I was 21 in Tennessee, <laughs> driving home to Cincinnati. You're welcome. <laughs> I was doing one, I was doing 120 <laughs> in a little yellow Opal station wagon, <laughs> uh, my first car. And, you know, after explaining to me that the car was not designed to go that fast, he asked me what my occupation was. And I said, a musician. And when I looked at my ticket later, he wrote unemployed. wow so there you go (laughs) oh my gosh that is that's amazing but you know these things the this is the whole i call it ain't it awful like when you talk about all the things that are wrong it's a game of ain't it awful but i mean you know it's it's it all ends with whatever individual single move forward you can make or that i can make and and that's really it. That's really it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other solution. Well, you you um, you lived in Nashville for a short time. Is that correct? Yes, two years. Two years. Okay. I had quit playing uh, and working at the end of 2008 when my wife. I did a modern drum festival. And my wife, right after that, uh, came down with. Uh, being very ill, and it turned out to be leukemia. Okay. And for two years, I was at her side at the hospital and taking care of our two dogs and just doing that. And and um, and and my heart was breaking in yeah. slow motion. And when she died in 2010, I was uh, pretty much in a hole, but tried to act like I wasn't. And uh, and then I, let's see, what was it? Oh, while she was sick, I was called to go down to Nashville for a couple days to do a record, work on a record. Mm-hmm. And it was all these blue chip guys. Um, it was, you know, um, Bobby Ogden on keyboard from like Elvis Presley and whatnot, you know, huge ears. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Franklin, yeah, steel guitar, steel. Ben mm-hmm. Mason, mm-hmm. all these, all these great guys. Um, and the experience was fantastic. Uh, the record was kind of an odd one, and and I had a lot to do with the arranging of it. They they allowed me to offer my opinion, and they liked my opinions mostly. <laughs> and so we kind of went in a certain direction there, and and it was just really great experience. And um, and some of these guys said, you know, oh man, if you come down here, you know, that would be great because we'll work a lot and all that. So I thought, okay, maybe a new place because everywhere I go in New York City reminds me of what's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So I came down and 
the thing is, um, you know, well, I remember like being at like a, a, a drum club lunch and they're talking about Broadway. And then I was talking, I go, well, I don't really like Broadway. It took me forever to realize they're not talking about playing <laughs> shows yeah, right. on Broadway. They're talking about playing, you know, honky tonks uh, on lower broad honky tonk music for the people from Des Moines and everywhere else. And, and, um, and, and so that, that particular scene, um, what didn't mean anything to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the reason I left Nashville was, first of all, I didn't really put a lot into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I found that I just was disappointed musically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so cookie cutter there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, the patch bays don't get changed in studios <laughs> and that's your snare drum. This is a mic we use on the snare drum and, you know, and, and younger producers and everybody's just, and the older guys that are so talented are phoning it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had one great gig where I subbed on the, with the time jumpers right? and, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, Vince Gill and Paul Franklin and, and it was one of those IQ tests that I loved. Like I got the call two in the afternoon or something and the gig was at night and boom, you know, and that was just so great, but they have a great drummer and right. I didn't get, you know, and I was a good sub and that was it. And in the end, um, I also found life in, in the South to be disturbing. I mean, mm. uh, you know, like just, racial things and whatnot like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm from a different kind of social environment where, uh, you know, you you can, you can probably fill in the cracks there. (laughs) So, so that's, that's why I left. Mm -hmm. It just didn't really seem to have anything to pick for me. And, um, it felt, I felt like a stranger there. I had a couple of really great friends and I missed them all. But, um, and I always tell people it's a great town to visit, you know, it just wasn't a match for me. Sure. There are places like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, and, and, and you were living in New York before that. Yes. Right, most right. of my life I've lived in New York sure, city. Sure. Yeah. In Manhattan. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not yeah. like you were just living North of the Mason Dixon line somewhere. You were living in New York. Well, I so. grew up North, just North. I grew up in Cincinnati. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, the yeah, I was in New York and and <clears throat> and just, you know, I mean we had a banker even in Nashville take us aside and say, you know, you'd be a lot more comfortable with a bank over there. And what we realized was <laughs> it was because there weren't a lot of white people there. I mean it was so weird. Wow. Anyway. Whatever. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I, I've been here. Uh, I'm from Columbus, actually, originally. Um, yeah, and, great. Um, I, I moved down. Columbus Pro Percussion. <laughs> exactly. I worked there for five years, actually, with Jim Rupp. And Man, studied. Jim was a great guy. Yeah, I studied with Bob Brighthop uh, up there, and mm. um, came down here in 2000 and worked with Gary. And in 2001, you came down for a clinic. And I was your runner. I drove you around the city, took you to, almost got lost uh, to get to where we were doing the clinic. <laughs> but I, I kept it hidden that I didn't know where I was going. 
Wait, you, this is me? You took me in the I car? I took you. To this was clinic? like the day after 9-11, I think, or like two days after 9-11. Um, it was like my last day of working for Gary. Okay, okay, yes. Yes, I did a tour with John Good. Yes. Um, and so we were in town then. That was probably, yeah, probably about a week after 9-11. Yeah, yeah. And Yes, yes. And we did a, we did a clinic there at Forks. Yes, yes. Um, Another great shop. And yeah. uh, I, I worked for Gary for a couple of years, and that was kind of my my introduction to the music scene as Columbus Percussion was, even though I grew up there. But still, coming to Nashville and working was, was my introduction to so many wonderful players and kind of what the, what the vibe, what the pace of the scene was in all the things that you described, your experience here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Um, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I can say, uh, just in defense of it, it, it has changed. It has moved forward. And my wife, being from a very, very progressive uh, woman, uh, it, be, growing up in Columbus like I did, um, and she works for she's worked for nonprofits all her life, um, just giving back to society. It, it, there's no way that we would be living here if there wasn't some progress being made. Oh, I know. Exactly. <laughs> I agree. I know. I know that. And this, yeah. and it's a great scene yeah. for many, many people, you know, a great scene. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was more, that's why, the, that's why I prefaced everything that I had to say about it with yeah. where my head was at. Sure. I had, I was not very elastic and, and, uh, you know, I just, it just didn't really roll right. Right. Um, you know, just as much as, as the few racist things we encountered, oh. it was just, you know, like in there in the South in general, people don't like to say they, they won't say no. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like that somewhat in Japan as well. They won't say no. And, and so you never really know where you stand, you know? And, and, um, so I'm one of those, you know, I, I'm, I have no poker face. You know exactly where I'm coming from. This has cost me work, you know, where the song is, is crap and, and I'm making stink face at the artist. Right. And I just can't. So, so it's like, it's a whole combination of things that, that, uh, yeah. caused my demise. And, and it was a failure on my part, you know, cause I was invited there and yeah. I just didn't have the patience. And most of the time, I just stayed in my house and was noodling around and practicing and just trying to feel something, you know, uh, positive. So I was still in the grieving process. I understand. I understand. You've kind of inspired me to, to go to this question. Um, I, I kind of asked the same, a similar question to Aaron Comis, who I spoke to last week. There's something similar about the two of you. Uh, not only did you both work with Joan Osborne, but I, I feel like you both kind of come at your drumming and music from a very artistic approach. Has that been an, an intentional thing for you? Well, no. Um, it's, well, yeah. You know, Aaron is a great drummer, and yes, he's very artful, and he's always looking for uh, 
a sound color and an attitude that fits the piece that he's playing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I admire him a lot. Um, I, I am the way I am. I mean, I'm like this, I overthink things, you know, like a lot of my sessions that I've done, I'm trying, they play me the track. It's just, it's just a chopped wood backbeat. And I'll try, I'll completely deconstruct the damn thing, you know, and, and go into all kinds of, if it's a ballad, if it's soft, then, oh my God, then it's really crazy. Cause then I can get into hands and shakers and, Stuff like that. And in the end, somebody that just plays the obvious would have been better, maybe. And, and you know, that's like... Uh, so the straight and narrow path for me is, in a way, the hardest thing for me to do. Mm. Um, and, and that's my nature, you know. Yeah. I, I, um, I start cleaning my studio, and I end up changing heads on two snare drums, and while I cleaned one area where the other area just got worse and <laughs> now I'm out of time, you know? Yeah, right. So that's, that's how I roll, man. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that's just it. I'm, I go from A to, I'll go from A to B, but I won't go there directly necessarily. So. Well, and, and, and this, <laughs> the, 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 the premise of this podcast originally was, you know, it's, it's, it's focused on, the working drummer and those who who want to be a working drummer, those who do do the thing and our shared stories and interests and stuff. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, there we as as a sideman, as a as a you know, the person that contributes uh, in, in that way that that most of us do as drummers, we we don't always. We always reserve our own vision for another thing, our own project, our own band, or whatever, um, because we're there to serve the employer. And um, so you do that so many times, then all of a sudden, I don't know if you know that I'm talking about myself, all of a sudden you, you don't have your own voice anymore. You're, you're doing everything for everybody else, um, and yet I see people like you and Aaron create a career that has a very, it just seems like a very satisfying, like, this is my sound, this is what I do. And I think we all know that we get hired or not hired to do what we do, um, because we're the best at it. And for anyone that is that wants to go that route, that wants to pursue that, that is either what what advice might you have for someone that wants to be their own, you know, find their own artistic voice in drumming? Um, yes, remember that you're there working for the artist. Uh, the reason, try to understand the various reasons that you might have been hired. Sometimes it's not has nothing to do with how you played. Sometimes it's other things, you know, I, my, I usually just say the pants you're wearing or your hair or whatever, but it's there's other factors um, that get you a gig and help you keep a gig at times. Um, absolutely have to play well with others, like mm-hmm. on a tour, giving good bus, as right. Bill Champlin calls it, right. is actually more important than being a good musician. Um, it's crucial. Yeah. that you give a good bus at all times. 
and and it's there's all of that. Um, it's it's otherwise follow your heart, record yourself, judge yourself harshly, keep getting better, yeah, and stay strong. That's it. Yeah, yeah. You you grew up in Cincinnati. And you talked about uh, yeah. I've I've read um, and you, you you've had a, a teacher Jack Volk is that how you say his last name Yes Jack Volk Yes Yes he was a Rogers artist <laughs> Okay And yeah he played a live TV show that was on at noon every day like a talk show Was it and, the, was uh, it the Bob Braun show When I was, was it? Well it was an offshoot of that the Ruth Lyons show Okay Um so now I know how old you are <laughs> Um <laughs> So, so the <laughs> that's like Peter Chris or Tommy Lee. Okay, now I know how old you are. Um, or Neil Peart, right? Right. Anyway, right. Um, so so yeah, he. So when I was nine, I started up in band, and I'd been dying to play the drums, and and so and and he was fortunately, I ran into you know my parents sent me the, or the band director sent me to him. And he was absolutely incredible for me, you know. So, and I was, I studied with him until I was, uh, sometime in 10th grade, I quit because I thought I knew everything that he had to share with me. And I was crazy then at that point. I'm doing, you know, I'm inside of my listening habits were everywhere from, you know, Miles Davis to everything else. You wow. Know? So, um, yeah, Jack Bolt was great. And that was a very diverse upbringing. I mean, it started with me. Uh, he was fundamentally strong, so I had to learn how to read music and this and that. And uh, it was in probably fifth grade that I was in a concert band, and I met a saxophonist, Ricky Burnside, and he took me to his friend's house, who lent me a bunch of Charlie Parker records. Wow. And we started jamming together. And then Ricky had me in his band, and I played my first uh, gig in a band that he was in called The Lonely Ones. And I was in fourth or fifth grade then. Oh, and, and, and you know, that led to my be- always playing. They, they were high school kids, you know. And, and uh, so it was always, you know, I continued with concert music somewhat just because it was anything. I just was soaking up everything. You know, I played in the YMCA National Orchestra at the World's Fair in 68 in Montreal. And, um, you know, I mean, I have a million stories about everything, of course, you know. <laughs> I remember kissing a clarinetist, and she was really adorable, and I was really nervous, and, I'm, and I was thrilling. And I also remember wanting to play the snare drum, and the conductor came up and said, I've got three guys to play the snare drum. You're all good. But you're the only one, when you play the bass drum, you have a touch and a tone. And so I'm asking you, can you play the bass drum? Oh. And I don't know if he ever, if he really made that up or if it was really true, but it gave me, rather than feeling like a failure that I didn't get to play the star chair, like snare drum parts, yeah, yeah. That, that on the downbeat, there was my boom, you know? Right, right. right. <laughs> so anyway, that was trippy. And, and, and then, you know, a million bar bands forever and original bands and all that stuff. So, and, and lots of, you know, I was working five nights a week 
in 10th grade, uh, going to high school. My mom was driving me to the gigs until I could drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my parents really went through a lot, you know? Yeah. Uh, a lot of sacrifice. Anyway, that's, you know, that's, that's Cincinnati. When did you go to New York? What's the, what's the connection? There? Oh, well, uh, I, I ended up, go- I went to the conservatory of music there for about a year and a half. Uh-huh. And then I quit. And then I went to North Texas state. I had friends down there. Right. right. And I went down, down there and actually real honestly, I, I just took a class and then I quit. I knew, I mean, at that age, I knew everything, you know, <laughs> it was pathetic. But I lived in that area in Denton, Texas for like almost four years and would pl- would play concerts at uh, dor- dormitories and um, whatnot. So a lot of people just think I went to school there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, you know, I mean, I was nuts then. I was practicing eight, ten hours a day and, you know, I was turning into Terry Bozio. I was doing solo drum concerts and stuff and in the end, I pulled it back and just went, you know, no, I don't want to be this guy. So, you know. I know it, I picked up your book, Inside Out, about uh, maybe shortly after you were here for your clinic. And uh, there was so much in it, and there's a lot of stories, uh, history, and things that you experienced throughout your life that you make, you connect the dots very, very well with, with the different articles in that book. And I, I did some road work with a guitar player friend of mine, and he fell in love with the book that I ended up just giving it to him. And, That's great. Uh, and Thank you. It, it just because it's like, here's this book that a drummer wrote, but you've got to read this. And uh, so I recently purchased another copy when uh, I knew that we were going to be speaking, and it's been fun to go, to go back through. And, and it reminds me so much of of what you put in there that stayed with me for 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 all this time for at least twelve years. Um, and and one of them was the guitar player. We both found that story of. Uh, uh, you having the conversation with Elvin about like why is it I have good nights and bad nights? You know what is it? And he introduced the idea of no I thoughts. You know n- when when you begin a sentence with um, I, I I'm I'm sounding bad or check what check out what I can do or right. some of those things you're listening to yourself and you're not listening to the other musicians. You're not listening to you're not having kind of that relatable experience or that uh, out of it. And we, we, we just had these long discussions of, about that idea, and, and the light bulb went on for both of us. And every time we played together, he'd turn around and look at me and mouth while we're playing. goes, no I thoughts, man. No I thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, we do that to this day. I haven't seen him for a couple of years. but um, That's nice. That's great. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, creativity happens when you're an empty vessel. And, and if you're sitting there uh, watching yourself too much, then it's it's not so great. Yeah. Um, the place to be is, you know, is no place, every place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get in the you way know, of ourselves. Be, yeah, just be gone. 
you know, slim inside of all, all of it. I mean, various musics touch people in different ways, you know? Right, um, right. And so certain styles, you, a musician might not be easily transfixed into that nice, uh, empty place that actually feels so full and fulfilling. But there's always, you know, probably some style where they do that. And then in the rest of it, you, you know, you, you still just nurture things, you know? Right. And certainly when you're alone with your instrument, it's required. If you're going to end up being creative, it's required that you have to pursue, uh, how nothing sounds. Yeah. And, and it's real, it's real neat. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I want to ask you about that experience you had with Elvin. When you were uh, 17, you had a, a long lesson with Elvin Jones. Uh, and I don't know how often you've discussed this, probably many times, but I'd love to hear, and I'd love listeners to hear more about that experience. Well, he... Uh, okay, I went... I, I, I ran... I ran the sound, a PA system for the Thad Jones Mel Lewis band in, when I was like the year earlier mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. And uh, I met Mel Lewis, who I adored. I was, I was all over, you know, various jazz people and whatnot. And then and still to this day, Mel Lewis, in my opinion, it was, is one of the most musical drummers ever. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just loved that band, the whole thing. So <clears throat> in talking with Mel, he, he explained that I should go to New York. If I want those symbols, I have to go to New York and get my Istanbul case from Frankie Polito's drum shop in New York. So I made those plans, and I went up on a summer and uh, walked in and met Frankie Polito and told him that Mel sent me. And after chatting, he goes, you know, Tony and Elvin are teaching here. Would you like a lesson? Uh, it's $40 for an hour. Oh, my gosh. And I said, great, Tony. And he said, okay. And then I went, wait a minute. I really get Tony. I need more Elvin. I mean, I, was, I loved Elvin, but I didn't have him. Like, I always want, I always recommend the drummer's imitate their favorites as, you know, try to become them for a while and add that influence to your body, to your, to your style, to your ears. And, um, so I felt like I sort of had Tony and I got where he was coming from, you know, paradiddles, testosterone, Hmm. uh, Alan Dawson and Elvin, uh, who I'd been listening to since I guess sixth grade or seventh grade. I loved, and, and and train I adored, but I can't I couldn't really say I really had it you know and got it. So I asked for Elvin instead, and and the next day Saturday morning at 11 a.m. was my lesson, and we're going up these tiny little stairs and uh, into this room, and a lot a lot of stuff happened. I mean, a lot of what you remember with a lesson is just what kind of person this 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 human that you've looked up to. Yeah and that you've paid to spend some time with, a lot of what happens is just getting a feeling of what this person is really like, you know? And yeah. and not all people that play uh, beautifully are beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know, right? But, but uh, I mean, I used to think that, you know, if you could play that way, that you, that you 
must really truly be highly evolved individual, and it's so not the case. Right. So, so um, albeit in most ways it is. So, Elvin, first of all, like a a, a more aggressive older fellow wanted to share my lesson. He goes, you know, I couldn't get in, but if you let me, if you let me just sit in on the lesson, you know, I'll pay for it, this and that. And me being shy and from Ohio, I didn't know what to say. I wasn't a New Yorker yet, right? So now <laughs> I would just slap him, slap him down. But, uh, but Elvin... <laughs> That's funny. Elvin goes, you know, well, now, I think that uh, this young man uh, uh, has been planning and has already paid and booked to have a lesson with me. And so that's the way it's going to be, and you can book me for another lesson at another time. In other words, he was just so regal and sweet. At the same time, uh, it's like, which, if, you know, listen to Elvin Jones talk, and it's just the greatest thing. You know, he's just an ama- he was an amazing man. Yeah. And sweet guy. And uh, anyway, so the lesson was great. Of course, I was the typical lame ass student sitting there. He goes, Well, play something. And I go, I don't know what to play. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we went through that dance. Yeah, yeah. Finally, it was the old play something from your band that got me to play something. And then, and then he spoke about what I was missing most, and he was correct, was dynamics that I was really changing the dynamics and I wasn't appreciating loud and soft being mm-hmm. near each other, nearer each other, doing it all and sat down in this room. It was like a closet. So I could reach out and touch his Tom Tom and she's playing and sing him for me Yeah, and just room for the drum set and a folding chair. And that's it. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and then he demonstrated that and we went and it just, at that point, I got it. You know, I just got it, and and it totally influenced me for a few years. All I did was sound like him, you know, or try to, and and uh, uh, and that's when I went to to North Texas State. I right? oh yeah, Bill, Bill Ward. That was Bill Ward. Bill Ward. Oh yeah, he just sounds like Elvin. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's what happens when you're influenced, and I, I consider that a good thing. You know, Elvin taught me a love of slurpiness and all kinds of things that I still automatically rely on to express myself, you know. Um, so it's it's cool. Yeah. It was a great it was it was a great experience, you know. I I have written about it. Well it mentioned it in the book, I think, and mm-hmm. and uh I've yeah, all the interviews they want to know about that one, you know. And yeah. he was great. I, I left with his phone number. He told me to call him when I come to New York. And uh, it was great. Did you <laughs> did you end up calling him when you got there? Or? Yeah, I did. I did. Yoko, uh, 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 not Yoko. <laughs> it's funny. Um, uh, his wife answered, and and uh, <laughs> I go, well, this you know this is Bill Ward, and Elvin said I should call him when I moved to New York, and and, and right away she goes, well, he can't help you. He can't help you. He gets in trouble getting gigs himself. And so, <laughs> so I said, okay, sorry, and I hung up. And and but later later uh, Keiko, right? Uh, I, I, I think that was her name. And and so later uh, when I was in L.A., we went to see the 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 Woodland Hills Drum Club. Me and a bunch of friends went to see Elvin play. And I went backstage, and 
I had this yellow snare drum and I asked him to sign it. And I told him, I said, I looked over at her. I said, you know, she was mean to me. <laughs> and he goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so I told him, you know, I, well, I told him that, you know, I know you don't remember, but we had a lesson and, and you gave me your number and I called and this is what she said. And, and, and I go, it's all good now, but you know, and, and he looks over at her and he goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. She used to do that a lot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she's just sheepishly smiling. Right. It's funny. It was cute. He, he so, came to uh, Columbus. We had those, uh, the drum days thing. Um, and I think they did so many up until maybe a few years ago. And he was the featured artist. And I remember, uh, I remember his wife there setting setting his drums up, and and she yeah, had a, Keiko, yeah. She had a cast on. She had a she, her arm was broken or something, and she was getting his drums set up for him. I was like, wow, all right, there you go, honey, take notes. <laughs> um, I think my wife was getting her master's degree in cultural anthropology at uh, Ohio State, so she spent. A few minutes uh, interviewing Elvin for a paper that she was working on um, that I just mm. thought was the it was before we were married. I'm like, this chick is the coolest. Um, <laughs> um, speaking of lessons, I had a friend of mine text me a couple of days ago. He goes, "Hey man, how are your bebop chops?" And I said, well, why do you ask? This has been years since I've done anything. He goes, well, check this out. And he sends me a video of, of a 14-year-old student, and he has many students in a couple of different schools that he teaches at. And uh, this kid is is sounding great, and he's just killing it. And uh, and he goes, I think I'm starting to exhaust some of my personal resources as far as executing some of the essential things that we're doing in the uh, the John Riley book and some of these other things, and I I kind of want to send him on to somebody for a handful of lessons and do some things. And I said, you know, that's that's just a really interesting situation as a teacher when you have a student that may be excelling in an area that maybe isn't um, your area of expertise. Um, I think more of a. a as you know, to execute certain styles. I mean, my buddy is is a is a great teacher, great drummer, wonderful musician, huge ears. So has has had many successful students. But I thought, you know, let me let me pose this to Billy when we speak. Whatever I have to teach is it's something that I've learned. And the things that I touch, that I teach the best, mm-hmm. are things that I had to really work hard at to get. Mm. The things that I can't teach are things that just happen to be in my lap, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, and in, but in the end, I find personally, it's not rocket science. It's it's every. I have yet to find a lesson that should not involve all the, first of all, physical checkpoints of grip, posture, setup, and, are, in other words, are you hurting yourself? Mm-hmm. If not physically hurting yourself, that when you turn 40 or 45, your body's going to remind you what you did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it might not be that bad, but it could be bad enough that you just think you don't, you can't play jazz. 
and it's because your hands suck, and it's because your grip sucks. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And then the rest of it is more, uh, uh, you know, in my case, it's it's like how my my best lessons are how to practice. Uh, it's the whole inner world of music and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's obviously entire arenas and, and universes of music that I am completely unqualified. You know, I mean, I love Latin music, but I shouldn't be teaching anything about that. Um, so, uh, my, my Latin experience is, is my Latin jazz experience, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's what I took in. And so I can't spit anything else out but that in that style. Um, so yeah, it's, we all have limitations and I think it's, 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 I think that's a great idea. I mean, if, if, if there's a network of, drummers, you know, yeah, who, yeah. who are teachers to pass somebody around. And because also for them, it's, it's more experience, you know, and, and they don't have to take, you know, I mean, the last thing I would want is a student that, that just accepts everything that's said to him or demonstrated. Uh, the idea is that uh, you have to take, in my case, what I'm teaching and take it home and you have to work at yeah, it. And, yeah. And if it's not satisfying to you and you don't see the progress, then, you know, don't do it. You won't do it. So that's good. The, the more and more I thought about how to phrase this question, the more ideas started to pop into my head about some of these, these universal truths and universal ideas that apply to every style of music. You know, tone, yeah. good time feel, um, maybe just some 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 methods that have worked that we've read about or heard about uh, transcribing uh, going to the source going to some of the the uh, I, I know this this young man has been listening a lot to Elvin and Tony uh, as well he says uh, my my buddy says the students been really digging into that so he's listening um, and how that stuff uh, will, will serve him well. This is a question from from a blog you have online. Uh, it says, uh, "How does one practice for a future creative moment?" Uh, and uh, you've you've touched upon this uh, in a, a couple different sources from videos and stuff. Uh, the whole practice playing. Uh, and I'd love to hear more about that and what what one can do to, I don't know, prepare themselves for any any type of. Uh, uh, creative inspiration that might happen on the gig? When I got the greatest luck among much great luck that I've had, when I got to meet Robbie Robertson and work with him on the record story bill, um, uh, it it ended up being about five or six months of employment where we were in pre-production on all the songs and stuff. And, uh, after I got that gig, I was talking to a friend of mine who's very wise and also an employer of mine in film music. And I said, you know, I thought maybe I had a new secret handshake and that I'd be getting more work now. And because uh, it was a very coveted, I mean, he's obsessed with drummers and and, and all of his records have like amazing drumming performances, you know, um, and and. Um, 
In fact, my track that I ended up getting, oddly enough, I'd never worked on with him in pre-production. And when he played it for me, it was obviously Ginger that they had already recorded. So I was basically replacing someone. I go, that's Ginger, isn't it? And they go, yeah. And I go, that's fucking great. And then, yeah, we want your energy on it. I'm thinking, you're crazy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> he really did sound great. Anyway, um, the, the, but I'm happy, right? I'm happy now. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so, so anyway, the, 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 what my friend said when I said, gee, I thought I'd have, you know, be getting all this new work. He goes, it's not about your best gigs. It's about your worst gigs. If your worst gigs keep improving, then you're better off. In other words, if you used to have to, you know, wear a tuxedo for five gigs every weekend, Friday night, two Saturday and two Sunday. And now you don't have to always do that. You get better gigs with better musicians, or you don't have to carry your drums to the kitchen anymore, or <laughs> you're, the band you're playing with is better than last year's band, or the bass player's finally gone and you got a better bass player or whatever it is. Then, then, <clears throat> then you're doing well. And I basically think that it's, also, and I touched on this in the book, it's it's how you are at your worst that mm. is really all you have to be concerned with. And and so I practice for the worst. I teach how to practice for the worst, like for your most clumsiest day where you're sight reading the chart, but it blows off the music stand <laughs> from the wind. <laughs> at, or the bass drum pedal breaks, and to use a real-world example, and you're doing a live concert from the Fillmore West, uh, uh, wow. or, you know, uh, just things like that. I mean, just how things go when they get bad. Um, and, and practice playing is an exercise that, uh, where you work on, you empty yourself, you play some notes, and then you start composing a drum piece. Mm-hmm. And if you really are uh, not just regurgitating a pattern, then what will happen is you will absolutely mess up quickly. Um, and if you don't think you have, that's why you should record because you're not aware of, you haven't trained your ears yet to realize how yeah. badly you're playing. Right. Um, so, so, uh, like you may get the note you intended but the time may be really lame, 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 or whatever. And so the, so that's it. I mean, it, it's, it, it requires at least one one-hour lesson with me to get this and to understand the concept. But the idea is you, you empty yourself, you end up playing something, and you're playing something that you asked yourself to play, and you couldn't play it. So then you stop and you work it out and you use that as a new exercise for you to work on. And then you go back to playing some more and then you do it again when it messes up. And eventually you've added all this technique to your, what I call musical suitcase and it's available to you. And this is not technique that you got from looking at a, transcription of Tony Williams or Vinny or uh, anybody, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, Stuart Copeland, whatever. It's, 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 it's something that's driven from your ears. Your ears asked you to play it, 
and you learn how to play it. Yeah. And that's you. Yeah. And that's honestly how you can become you. So that's practice playing. And it's the right way to practice because it's, 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 because really, um, it's practicing where you're at at the, your most vulnerable place. An- another aspect uh, that you've discussed is that how to escape, uh, you know, kind of having these escape routes for situations. I, I, I think that oftentimes we, we play it safe because we know, and we've been, it's been kind of drilled in our heads, like work out your licks, do this stuff in the practice room, don't practice on the bandstand. I mean, I think that holds true, but there, there's so much information that is provided on the bandstand that um, is just, I don't know, it's just, it's there for the taking, and it, it's it, you want to be inspired by that live situation, and the audience is there, and all those things. So I, I love that idea of it's like, well, how do I just go for certain things? Even in the most structured type of music, structured environment, how do I go for that thing? But if it doesn't happen, that, that's a sign of a professional. It's like you make a mistake, but no one knows it's a mistake because you, you got out of it. Um, or am I, am I taking it a different direction? Well, no, there's, yeah, there's... Well, there's mistakes and there's mistakes. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, if you love art, you're going to be very, rare, very rarely satisfied with your performance. You know, this, this, I only like a few things I've ever done, and I consider it just pretty much pure luck that, like, <laughs> I didn't muck that up. Um, you know, I, there's stuff that people love that that their hero played that their hero probably thinks is crap, you know? Um and that, that's the whole, uh, that's the whole learn to judge yourself harshly. That's, it's, that's in that territory. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's always, you know, um, there's always like, there's always ways, there's always, if it's 16th notes on the hi-hat, you can always do paradiddles and double paradiddles and, all of that instead of, and just work it out and make it happen and make it feel good and see what happens to the feeling when you do that. Mm -hmm. There's always things you can do to challenge yourself. And, 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 and that's the whole thing. It's like, that's the, it's like this whole study thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know to what degree I believe in, I believe in studying to learn all the fundamentals Mm-hmm. And you need someone to explain you the reading and 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 how to read music, and you need to know how to. Uh, and everybody should have piano lessons, for goodness sakes, uh, right, right. so that you understand music theory and stuff. I have kept a lot of gigs because I had good ears and could identify chords when the band is looking at their thumbs and they don't know what the next chord is. Yeah, and and so it's 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 real a lot of a lot of you know, doctors practice, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. we should be, so yes, we should be practicing. It's all practicing. Like, you know, drummers go, well, I don't practice. I just play. Well, good for you. <laughs> you know, and that's what I do when I practice. I practice, I practice, but I'm playing. Mm-hmm. The difference is I get, I can stop and work on a noodle that, that suddenly accidentally happened. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I can make it mine. 
Right. And whereas on the bandstand, it's gone. And it probably, like, was me falling off a cliff for a second, you know? So, uh, uh, yeah. Brief, there's another thing out of, you reminded me, there's another thing out of, out of your book that that's, has stayed with me for so, for so many years, is that the idea of practicing a count-off. And um, luckily, I have a soundproof room, and my kids don't have to hear me, and they're going, one, two, three, four. (laughs) But I I, I swear to you, Billy, that has served me so well. Um, If I'm learning new material, and it's like, I am so responsible for getting that band started. If it's a guitar pickup, if it's, you know, there's a pickup on... The end of two, I know I'm going to go three, four, one, two, you know, something and, and do mm-hmm. subdivisions on the on the sticks uh, to give them a feel. If it's a shuffle, I'm, I'm playing shuffles right. with a stick to kind of give that 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 feel. And, 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 and it's like it's the least I can do to make them feel comfortable, especially if I'm a sub, if it's my first time with these people or it's Oh, they'll love material. you for it. Yeah, they'll... Yeah, they'll love you for that, because that's the whole, you know, I mean, nobody, who like, who who's your favorite bass player to play with? It's it's the guy that makes you feel safe yeah. and yeah. even omnipotent. It's like, I got this, go have fun, fellas and gals. It's like, and that's, that's the thing, it's like, um, I remember stepping into a situation and, and the guitarist started who wrote the song started counting it off. I go, no, 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 no. I haven't played a note yet. I go, I'm counting everything off. It'll be entirely my fault. <laughs> <laughs> and they all laughed. But then he told me how relieved he was. Yeah. And that's the, um, <laughs> and it, it takes a certain kind of, you know, uh, some people really try not to take risks, you know, but I mean, or they lack confidence. I don't know what it is, but but yeah, it's 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 really helpful to. There's a lot of ways you can help your band and help your bandmates. Eye contact, uh, you know, just get your head out of your butt and make yeah. music together. You know, yeah, just looking at the person that's that's singing. If, the, if there's different people, if the, I found if there's different lead singers within a group, you know, that people are trading songs or doing whatever, or maybe somebody's soloing, you kind of like just look in that person's direction and, and it, you know, like I'm, I'm hearing, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting or it's, um, no, it, th- there, there's so much in that book and it's been fun to kind of, to <laughs> revisit and, and remind myself that, oh, I, that's right. I I do that. That book is was a compilation of you know the pieces that I was writing for Modern Drummer. Yeah, the yeah. concepts articles, and I'm just forever grateful to Bill Miller for encouraging me to to do that. And and it really was satisfying to uh, I mean that there's like a whole nother probably two books worth of stuff that's not been published, but. That's the way it goes. Uh, if, if you got, if you read the magazine, it's out there, or maybe it's on there digitally somewhere. But um, Roy's articles, you know, may he rest in peace. Uh, he, they were wonderful articles, and and um, anyway, I think it's it's important that we help people all we can. And so I'm, I'm touched that you you like the book so much. Thanks. 
So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com. Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. Last year, I opened up uh, and had my w- website rebuilt, and, and it's designed to begin teaching privately through Skype. And I got a gazillion replies that completely freaked me out, and I never answered anybody. And I'm and the more I let it go, I feel more and more guilty. So I'm hoping to get going on that more than anything else. Because at this point, um, I'm not in a hurry to be on somebody's tour bus and be away from... I have remarried, mm-hmm. and I'm happy, and uh, I've done a lot of work. And I'm so I'm kind of slowing down. And, and you know, I my studio is active. Uh, if anybody's got songs, they want me to, to uh, as Mark Cranny would say, spray on them. I'd be happy to. Uh, <laughs> but like the the uh, you know the main thing is I want to give back to the drumming community when I what I can, and I think the most valuable thing I have uh, is one offs. And there's a lot of drummers that I've studied with that have had only just one or two lessons with me, and and they they. they credit me with completely changing their career and their life on drums and and I want to offer that to more drummers and uh, so uh, you know I, so there's a vetting process there's going to be you know like not everybody's a match for each other and but that's that's what's coming up and also this is a year my wife's having some surgery done for her eyes she's yeah. got some genetic illness with her eye and that's actually going down tomorrow, the first right. thing. And um, so I've got a lot on the plate, and that's the best I'm doing right now. Yeah. So usually, you know, guys, oh, yeah, I'll you know, sing, and I got this, and I got, you know. <laughs> but uh, not for me, not in my case. But that's all right. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've mentioned the book many times, Inside Out. Um, you've got some DVDs. There's the Modern Drummer Festival uh, in 2000, 2008. Um, there's also big time and voices in my head. Um, I have not seen all of voices in my head. Um, but I, the sounds and the production and everything just looks wonderful. Um, what, do you remember what year that was voices in my head? Uh, probably Oh seven. Okay. Oh six. Yeah. I, I mean, um, big time came out in Oh five. Okay. And uh, I know that because I'm looking at a plaque from Modern Drummer for it, but uh, the reader's poll thing. And the the voices, probably 07 or 08, and um, it's it's about, basically it's about jazz and, or jazziness and how it applies in the real world. And uh, it's, it's uh, I think it's a good video, good instructional. Yeah. 
And, and and it sounded like there was it was an extension of what you did in big time. It, would that be correct? Like just getting digging into some finer details of of some of the things you well, talked about. Big time is about big time is focused on timing mm-hmm. and and uh, and that's just a huge thing. Uh, there's other lessons, but mostly because you know I can't help myself. But I'm going to throw in as much as I got, but. Big time is mostly about timing, and if you worry about whether it's me, is it me or the bass player, then that's the video for you, or you just got fired for bad time. That's the video for you. That'll get you started. Um, uh, Voices in my head is more about, it's more of a technique video, honestly. So, um, and how you, how you get there. And, and honestly, it's, you know, it's basically you want to you want to have a track that feels like Bonham. You better get into jazz, you know, because mm. uh, you know he was into Purdy and Purdy was into Elvin. Speaking of Elvin, yeah, and and that's you know that's it. Yeah. So this this is kind of uh, less of a question and 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 more to kind of trigger some ideas. Uh, it's a two part question, but. Uh, for 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 drummers that are wanting to get into making a career out of playing music, um, what advice would you give to the young drummer, the beginning drummer? Uh, play with people as much as possible. Listen to as many different kinds of music as you can. Put everything you can into your hands. You have to be a sponge, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, and you know, and and uh, staying by yourself, you're not going to get too far with that. With just your solo YouTube videos, I mean, you'll get a couple of million fans, and you might get a free drum set or two out of it, but it shall pass, and your contentment will not be very good, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. So in the end, it's like playing with people. Is is the uh, is the happiness button? It, it, very, very much so. That that has come up so many times on uh, on this podcast. But you know, just we're kind of in this age of of it's just so easy to put videos out and 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 have all this stuff. And, and there's just been this new trend. Um, I guess that's that's um, playing with people is is definitely uh, there is a happiness about it that you just cannot replace. Maybe it's the clicks. That maybe it's that. That's what's firing the neurons there, is just seeing how many likes people are getting. Um, yeah. Uh, it's hard to say. So here's the second part of this question. What what advice would you give to experienced players? Well, it's the same thing. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. you, you you have to you have to get out there somehow, accept what the world gives you, and work it. Um, and you have to record yourself, tape yourself. We used to say, but I'm trying to learn to say, record yourself, <laughs> record yourself. And, and, ju- you know, most drummers just don't judge themselves harshly. And then, so then it's not until they're actually working with professionals that they find out that they're not good enough, you know, and, and, and they, they wonder why they didn't get called back again to yeah. record some more. Yeah. So, uh, that's, you know, 
that's the thing. Yeah. You have to listen to it. I always liked it in clinics. I used to say, listen to it as if it's the guy who stole your car and wrecked it. <laughs> and, you know, and, and took your girlfriend away from you or something. I mean, just, and he's wearing the wrong pants. I mean, just, just you know, <laughs> we've all walked into an audition where as soon as you walk in, you know, oh, I'm not the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be the guy. So, like... <laughs> The guy. So when you listen to yourself, listen to it with those ears. That this is not the guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. Anyway, um, you mentioned uh, one of the last things I want to ask you is uh, you you say you're recording at home or you've got your studio. I'm sorry, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you've done some movie soundtrack work, and I- I'm just curious how that differs. What the approach is for when one is recording for a movie soundtrack and TV commercials and things like that, what, how would you describe well, there's that? There's a lot less, yeah, okay, there's a lot less hand-holding. It's not, you're, you're not going to spend all day getting one little three-minute song. Um, you know, that happens in ten minutes, and then you move on. Yeah. So you, it's like you've, you've got to know what you're doing, and you've got to be versatile. Um, so I've, I've done feature films where there was no chart, uh, many of them, there's no chart, the director, the, 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 uh, composer, just, you look at the, the, the film and he talks you through it and he tells it to you once. And then you go out and you play a five minute cue based on what he said. Wow. And then, you know, and it's, and it's like, if it's not good enough or, di- or you misinterpret it or whatever, that's all fine. But you know, that's the IQ test. There's that. And and then there's other ones where it's reading and whatnot. Um, you know, it's it's just it's it varies, but it's certainly not like oh let's get drum sounds or something like that. You know, it's, uh, you know. <laughs> when I when I did the, uh, I got the call for that thing you do. Yeah. Because I had done a film, um, for uh, producer Gary Getzman. Uh, who, and it was, it was called Miami Blues. It was with Alec Baldwin before Alec hit. Uh, and, um, I forget who the woman is, but she was really good too. Anyway, it's like a dark comedy or some, what do they call it? Blue comedy? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's a real trippy, it was a real trippy day because we had to get it. We had like two or three hours to get the whole film. Oh my and it was like not even time to like even sit down and it was like, I'm out there, there's a TV in front of the drum set, and and we're just knocking this sucker out, right? It's like kind of fade when the Camaro goes down the street, and then when you hear this, like just kind of feather back in with symbols, and then you got this and that. It's like, okay, you know, and, and <laughs> I had just moved to L.A., and, and Getsman... Get, I, and, and gets when came out and he goes, you are a god. And and having once been with Ace, I, I looked at him and didn't know that he was like one of the more powerful dudes, right? I just went, oh, I did. Totally awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so they were having trouble with, you know, uh, getting this actor to play drums, Tom Scott. And so that's that's when I got the call to do that. And, oh, in that uh, thing you do. Yeah, play. right, right. Yeah. So anyway, that's you never know where your gigs come from, and uh, you know whoever you're playing with now might be the guys who champion you later, and and that's how you get the work. 
It's right. how you get a gig. Right. Can you can you give me an example of like what the what the person would say, you know, before you go in and play that five minute cue you were talking about? Well, it depends. It, it, it there's there's it could be anything. It could be yeah. the more. The, I I worked with this composer Gary Chang. I'm referencing him, and this is a guy who who's the son of uh, MIT geniuses, both parents, and who heard Miles Davis when he was 15 and uh, and broke his parents' hearts, wanting to be a musician from there on. And Gary is brilliant, and he's in touch with all musics, and just so playing with for him or with him, it felt more like with, uh, was an incredible blast, and in hindsight, an honor. Uh, he so he would he had different languages, some of which I taught him. I taught him like I taught him fruit of the loom for toms, you know, fruit of the loom. And, and I taught him like fish for symbols, bucket of fish. Right, right. And so while he's going through and he's like fish, fish, fruit loom, fruit, 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 fruit of the loom. And then and then there's a and then there's a like an under siege. That's another one that we did. Right. There are there are there are cues where they're fighting and stuff, and it's like a rock thing, mm-hmm. but you don't, but it's more sophisticated than rock. So you don't just do two and four. You show two, and then you don't show four. Or you show, it's like you've got to play hit and run, and it's a hard thing to do if you're always playing pop music mm-hmm. to, to, to kind of drift more on the surface of the pocket, but be swinky that way. And that, that particular soundtrack is full of things like that. So, um, you know, it, it varies, but that's, so it's like that. It's, 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 it's like that. And, and, and other ones would be, maybe there's a chart and then the chart turns out like most drum charts turns out to be not really good enough. So you still talk about it and it's still what was said that you have to remember yeah. and do, you know? So that's and it. Maybe notes and... Just it's it's I so love looking at the charts after the end of the session. It's like wow, this 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 was crossed out and we shortened this, and then there's an arrow that goes around the side of the page that you know tells you <laughs> this or that. And I hear stories of, of of people going in. It's like the the producer just go do this, and there's no chart, and they just memorize it. And I thought, well, that yeah. might, that might even be more efficient uh, overall. Well, yeah, do. most of the most of the films I've done have been like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so many people uh, reference that the that thing that you do. Um, it's just as far as just such a fun movie, and uh, I'm excited to to watch it. It's been years since I've seen it. To watch it again, knowing <laughs> that uh, your involvement in that and um, and and helping the the actor out with with the playing and stuff. I always wonder how that that worked out. Well, Billy, it's 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 been an honor, man, to talk to you, and I I appreciate your flexibility w- with me in this this crazy week that I've had um, to to make this happen. Again, it was it was great to to see you the, all those years ago and and meet you. <laughs> That's great. That's really neat. Yes. Um, well, I'm hoping. Thank you, Matt. I, I enjoyed it. I'm hoping to. Hopefully, sometime I have a reason to be back in Nashville, and we'll have to get together I and uh, let you drive me around again, or I'll drive you around. Okay? 
<laughs> I know the city. I know the city we'll go, a little bit better. Yeah. We'll go to Hattie B's together. How's that? Oh, I got a better place. I have a better place. Okay, good. <laughs> it's, okay. It's not as crowded and it's and it's it's award winning. Um, <laughs> What's the name of it? It's called Subculture. And Great. It's just a small off the beaten path. No no tourists. It's it's the best, man. It's the best. I'm just tickled that um, you agreed to do this, and um, I, it was fun to kind of put you on the spot. I have to say that's the first time I've ever done that on Facebook, on your public feed, and say, Billy, I want you on this show. <laughs> and then <laughs> the other people said, yes, Billy, do it, go. It's like, hey, that worked. That worked. <laughs> put the, put the yeah, you never know. Yeah. Keep it, keep it you know, I don't it worked. I mean, I'm, I'm easy though. I'm, I enjoy sharing. I mean, that's one of the things I'm, I'm up to doing all the time now. So, uh, yeah, I'm from Ohio. So, you know, I, it's, it's hard, it's hard for me to be that aggressive. You know, it's hard to ask for things (laughs) that I, yeah, I know. I know. I tell, I sometimes, I tell my accountant, I go, I'm sorry, I'm from Ohio. I don't wait until it's due. I'm just, I'm sorry, I paid it right away. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I remember that. I appreciate yeah. it very sure. much. Thanks so much. And enjoyed meeting you again, yeah. apparently now. <laughs> well, have a great day and, and good luck for the rest of this week with everything. Okay. okay. Thanks, Matt. You too. Keep All feeling right. better. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. So there's my conversation with Billy Ward. It was really great to reconnect with him. I know he doesn't remember us meeting, but I remember that 15 years ago when he was on that clinic tour. He puts together a great clinic and has always been inspiring to me as a philosopher and the book that he has, Inside Out, The Mental Aspects of Drumming. I just couldn't express it enough how it resonated with me, and many of the things in that book I continue to use to this very day. I felt like I was a little nervous during that interview. I'm not sure exactly why. Uh, I get that way sometimes, and I think that I use the uh and the um quite a bit in this interview. I apologize for that, but I really enjoy talking with Billy, and his his spirit is just as strong as ever, and uh, I, I just I felt inspired by that conversation. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's episode. Uh, Many thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance and helping keeping this podcast rocking online and otherwise. And thank you all so much for listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.